Uh, now, it is true that when we're really harsh with ourselves, if we're cruel, if we expect perfectionism, uh, that doesn't help us. That doesn't, you know, that causes suffering. It doesn't alleviate it. But on the other hand, if we're kind of too soft on ourselves and if we let ourselves get away with bad behavior, so to speak, that's not helping either. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is one of the scientifically proven ways we can age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager, and my goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will excite and inspire you to share your own gifts and talents with the world. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and my brand new book, Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at my interviews and other fun tidbits, including many pictures of my new puppy, Frankie. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at judybanker.com. Ever wonder what the host of Zestful Aging does when she's not podcasting? Creating one-of-a-kind earrings, of course. I've just opened an Etsy shop called Zestful Design no S. And it showcases my fun, comfortable, and zesty polymer earrings. These earrings are fun to make and fun to wear. So check out my new shop, Zestful Design, on Etsy. And as usual, I have my loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side, and I am really looking forward to our interview today. You may have heard about the importance of self-compassion, but you're not really sure what it means in real life. Is it just a way of uh, kind of getting away with bad behavior? Does it give us the green light to do whatever we want without consequences? Well, today I have the honor of speaking with Dr. Kristen Neff, who will explain the importance of self-compassion, the different kinds of self-compassion, and why it's in important, especially for women. Kristen Neff is a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research, which began when she was a grad student and wanted to help herself in a dark period of her own life. We're going to talk about her new book, Fear Self-Compassion, how women can harness kindness to speak up, claim their power, and thrive. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Oh, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. It seems particularly relevant um, with all of the pain around us currently. Um, but let me start by asking you, what are the biggest misconceptions about self-compassion? Right. So, you know, compassion is in the science world is basically defined as concern with the alleviation of suffering. And so self-compassion just means concern with alleviating our own suffering, being well, helping ourselves. 
Um, but for whatever reason, people often hear the word compassion and they just think, oh, go easy on yourself. You know, don't mm -hmm. give yourself a break. Uh, now, it is true that when we're really harsh with ourselves, if we're cruel, if we expect perfectionism, uh, that doesn't help us. That doesn't, you know, that causes suffering. It doesn't alleviate it. But on the other hand, if we're kind of too soft on ourselves and if we let ourselves get away with bad behavior, so to speak, that's not helping either. Uh, so people kind of get confused about that and they think it's being soft, being weak, giving up, being complacent. Um, if, it, if it's anything but, it makes us strong, healthy, more able to be get things done. But we do it from a place of care, not from a feeling of inadequacy. Mm-hmm. Very different. Would you, I, I know that your your book is geared towards women and you've spoken about why women are particularly um, uh, bad at this. Uh, what are, <laughs> just not to well, put too fine a point on yeah. it, but what what's your theory about why we're so reluctant to be self-compassionate? Yeah. Well, and also my new book, there's really at least two different forms of self-compassion. There's more the nurturing, uh, tender side of self-compassion, which is all about self-acceptance. But when it comes to our behaviors or maybe the situations we find ourselves in, sometimes we need to take action to alleviate our suffering and to be well, right? So just because we accept ourselves doesn't mean we want to accept our behaviors if they're actually harmful. Um, so I call them the tender and fierce sides of self-compassion. And so what we know is that um, women are a little bit less self-compassionate than men, even though they're more compassionate to others. And that's because even though compassion is part of the female gender role, right? So 85% of the people who come to my workshops are women. And yet that compassion, we're raised to believe that we should be compassionate to others, not ourselves, right? We're told our needs don't count. We don't feel as entitled to meet our own needs as, as men might. So that's one of the reasons women need it more because of this, this socialization for self-sacrifice. Um, but it's especially relevant for the fierce action side of self-compassion, right? Women are told just to kind of, you know, be nice, <laughs> mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. to get angry, not to speak up. Um, and in fact, if we're too powerful or too agentic, people can often dislike us for being so. So for, for a woman, a really important part of being self-compassionate is choosing to be our full authentic selves, which means speaking up, which means claiming our power. It means sometimes getting angry if, if the anger is serving the purpose of alleviating suffering. Uh, and it also means, you know, being willing to risk other people liking us and really saying what's really important is that I'm authentic and I like myself. Uh, and so the, the socialization, I mean, everyone needs self-compassion, both men and women need both fierce and tender. We need to be in balance. But you might say the blocks to self-compassion are slightly different if you've been socialized to be mm -hmm. female as opposed to male. And, and by the way, it's not, it's not real gender, it's just gender socialization. Well, that was going to be my question is, uh, it sounds like what you're saying is there's no evolutionary uh, reason for women to be more self-sacrificing. It's all about socialization. 
Yeah. So, I mean, there, there may be some slight biological role associated with things like testosterone, which might, you know, which kind of can lead us to be more agentic and maybe oxytocin, which leads to maybe be more nurturing. But what mm -hmm. we know is that the differences are small and they also interact with socialization. So, for instance, a female's testosterone levels uh, raise when she acts out firing someone. <laughs> and a man's oxytocin levels are raised when he cuddles a child. Uh -huh. So there may be some small biological differences, but um, you know, they're, they're small, they're greatly exacerbated by socialization. I and of see. course, differences within genders are much bigger than differences between genders. That's, that's very interesting and a very yeah. important point, I think, because I think many people believe that women are just naturally meant to be um, all nurturing all the time. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, Again, there may be some biological tendency, but it's greatly exacerbated mm -hmm. by gender roles. I mean, there's nothing biological about the fact that women do most of the housework and most of the mm -hmm. childcare while also holding full-time jobs. Yes. That's just plain old patriarchy. Yep. <laughs> plain old patriarchy. <laughs> let's let's um, call it like it is. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly it. Hi, listeners. A quick interruption to tell you about a powerful tool I actually rediscovered after 15 years that will help you with stress, anxiety, and depression. I'm talking about the meditations from Health Journeys created by trauma expert Bella Ruth Napperstack. When I had to have major surgery many years ago, I listened to these meditations and it was enormously helpful. Health Journeys meditations are a little different than the run-of-the-mill meditations that you can find on apps. They're scientifically created and are used in over three thousand hospitals. I highly recommend them and I use them myself. You can go to zestfulaging.com or nicolechristina.com and you will see a direct link. I hope you find them helpful and I'm interested in your experience. Now back to the show. You know, as a, as a clinician, um, and I have a specialty in eating disorder, so perfectionism is, is uh, kind of always, always here uh, in, in the session. I'm wondering about how you make inroads with people who just, this is such a foreign concept. They, they are, you know, I'm thinking about some clients who just look at me like, what are you talking about? That mm -hmm. it seems so foreign and yeah. seems so wrong in a way. And what I'm wondering about is certainly there's many people who are not coming to see therapists who also really are perfectionistic, who are super hard on themselves. Mm -hmm. I, I see people who, and I'm sure you would agree, who especially have made a lot of, uh, they've been very successful academically or yeah. in their profession, and there's a real resistance. How do you work with that? Yes. Uh, well, so a lot of it is awareness. I mean, and it is true that some people do successfully motivate themselves with self-criticism, but there are a lot of unintended uh, negative side effects. So for instance, anxiety, 
right? So when you're super anxious, you might start fearing failure. You might start mm-hmm. procrastinating. You might start being less willing to take risks. Um, another big problem with self-criticism is if when you fail, you beat yourself up, it actually undermines your ability to learn from your failure. In order to learn from our failure, we need to see it clearly. Oh, I see what went wrong. We need kind of that calm space of mind to be able to learn. If we're full of shame, well, shame and self-criticism actually shut down our ability to learn because we're just distracted by the storyline of how worthless we are. And so what the research shows very clearly is that self-compassion is a more effective motivator than self-criticism. Right. We still want to achieve our goals, but not because we're inadequate. Again, just because we care and we want to achieve our goals. And if we don't, if we fall short, then we can say, okay, well, that's only human. It's to be expected. What can I learn from this? Mm-hmm. And that reduces performance anxiety. It leads to more ability to uh, try again, less procrastination, less fear of failure, um, more uh, learning goals and more grit. Right. So these are all the things, these are the things we need to be motivated. Um, Mm -hmm. and self compassion Mm -hmm. directly feeds the ability to have, you know, learning goals as opposed to performance goals, growth mindset, grit, keep on trying. It's okay. It's only, it's part of the process. Mm-hmm. But people don't know that, which is kind of why I've got to, that's why I need to keep repeating myself. Yes. But, that but, there's a practical aspect to this. It's not just a lovely concept. No, exactly. And, and the way people really become convinced is when they try it out for themselves. You know, they could read the research till they're, you know, till the cows come home. But it's really not until you see within yourself that it works that people are really going to make a change. And also a really important thing is for people to tune in to the cost of their self-criticism. You know, like usually when I teach a workshop, one of the first practices I'll do is have people think of a time when a friend has come to them who was maybe feeling badly about themselves or failed mm-hmm. or make a mistake. You know, what did you say to your friend? And then think about yourself, a similar situation. Mm-hmm. What did you say to yourself? And then just, you know, what would happen to my friend if I said to my friend the yes. things I say to myself? It probably wouldn't be very helpful, <laughs> no. you know. Um, but then what might happen if you said to yourself the things you more naturally say to a friend? And, you, oh, actually, that'd be a lot more helpful. So the nice thing about self-compassion is it feels foreign, but we actually know very well how to do it for other people. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of doing a little hack. We're, we're tapping into the system that's been developed to care for others and using it to care for ourselves. But it's, it's not mm-hmm. rocket science. Again, it's, we know how to do it. It just, we aren't used to doing it. We don't give ourselves permission to do it. So once we do, it's actually not that difficult to make the change. You know, it's interesting. I, I can imagine, and I'm sure I've said this to clients before, well, we, we know you're not quite there yet, but what would it look like right. if you were self-compassionate and just to see the difference and that there are options yes. um, and how helpful they can be? You know, just anecdotally, um, I'm a pretty active tennis player in my over 55 league, and there are certain players who have reputations that once they – um, double fault or once they are starting to uh, play poorly, we know that they are going to go down that spiral because yes. they're in that like, you're terrible. Oh, you're, you know, uh, they tell say terrible. You're, I'm, I'm just disgusted. I'm horrified. And we can watch them kind of uh, implode. <laughs> and it's yeah. a real, it's like, it's a real part of the game now where we know if you can get someone 
uh, starting down that negative path, <laughs> you have a super advantage because you, you just let them do what they're doing to themselves. Yeah, actually, I have a dissertation student now. She's developed an adaptation of the, the Mindful Self-Compassion program I developed with a colleague it's for athletes, and it's called Fail Better. In other words, as an athlete, you're constantly failing. Are you going to fail in a productive way or a non-productive way? So criticism, you know, gets you off your game and undermines you. But if you have compassion, okay, everyone fails. What can I learn from this? Mm -hmm. And it really is supportive and encouraging. It actually allows you to turn your failure into successes and learning experiences. Yes, yes. But awareness is so important because you have to know that you're doing it, right? To step back and say, let me try something different. Yeah. And a lot, you asked me, how do you get people to, to make that shift? Often if you can tune people in to the pain, right? So even if you start giving yourself compassion for the pain of self-criticism, that's a really good place to start. Right? Mm-hmm. What it, What's really hurting right now? Well, often people, what hurts the most is the feelings of shame and self-criticism that, that they do to themselves. So if you get them to feel some compassion or recognition, you know, first of all, validating the pain with mindfulness. This is hard. This hurts. Being aware of it. Um, remembering that, you know, they aren't alone. This is part of life. It's not, it's not like they're the only people who shame and criticize themselves. This is very human pattern. So they don't have to feel alone and isolated by it. But then tr- being willing to try out, well, what would happen if I was kind to myself? You know, maybe kind even about my self-criticism then I don't have to be so trapped by it. And maybe I can start, try something different Mm. and allow it to be awkward for a while. So it's awkward. So what, Mm. you know, after a while, it starts to feel more normal. Mm -hmm. Right. What's it like for you to teach this in an academic setting? What are some of the responses you get from your students? Oh, well, it's great. I'm so privileged. I I teach um, an undergraduate class in mindfulness and self-compassion. And yeah, I get a lot of really good feedback. Actually, you know, a lot of students have said that this has actually been the most impactful course they've taken in college. I mean, obviously, it's not to say that other things aren't equally important. I think it just points to the fact that emotional intelligence is often neglected. We don't actually teach people explicitly explicit skills to how to be how to be emotionally intelligent and work productively with stuff of human life. And so people get a lot out of it. So it's a, mm-hmm. I although I, I am retiring at the end of this year from academia, though, because the, the self-compassion work is taking up so much time. Mm-hmm. I don't really have the time to do as what I would like in terms of mentoring students, going to conferences, writing papers. So I'm going to transition. It's been 20 years, and I'm going to focus more just on writing and teaching self-compassion out there in the world more generally. So you'll leave the university? Yeah, I will be emeritus, hopefully. Uh-huh. So, you know, I'll still have some hand in. Ties, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's you know, when you're, when being a professor becomes your part-time side gig, you know, that's, maybe that's <laughs> you not. You know, you're way too maybe, busy. Maybe, maybe a bit too busy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you've teamed <laughs> up with people like Tara Brock. Yes, well, yeah. I mean, see, yeah, somewhat. Tara's a friend of mine. She's a real mentor. I just admire her so much. But I've mm-hmm. done some stuff with her and... Um, but, but the main thing is with Chris Germer, my close colleague, we developed the Mindful Self-Compassion uh, program, and we, we created a nonprofit called the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. And it's just really taking off now, uh-huh. um, adapting it, you know, for athletes, for, for men, for teens, for children, for parents, for couples, for teachers. You know, there's so many adaptations 
of the self-compassion work to help particular, you might say particular types of suffering related to whatever your situation in life is. And that's just so exciting and where I want to be able to spend uh, more of my energy and time. Are you, um, are you seeing this as a skill that we should uh, start very, very young for our children? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think ideally as soon as children start to learn about friendship, they understand that that also means being a good friend to yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, so whether Would it's children, whether it's medical people training to be doctors, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, I think I really, and I think it will get there eventually, just, just the way people are realizing that mindfulness is an essential skill, um, that self-compassion, being supportive, kind, uh, willing to help yourself is going to help you almost no matter what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I, ho I hope it starts becoming a more uh, explicit form of uh, training and in, in education at all levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm aware of the program in Oakland where instead of detention, the, the students will get mindfulness training. Yes, and yes. that's been so helpful. Yes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, where can people find out more about your work, Kristen? Well, the, the easiest place to start, if you just Google self-compassion, all roads, all the algorithms lead to my website, <laughs> oh, self-compassion. That's, that's very I got excellent. in early, you know, so selfcompassion.org. And I, you know, I have uh, videos, you can take a self-compassion mm -hmm. test to see where you are. Mm -hmm. I've got lots of practices, guided audio practices mm -hmm. that you can listen to. I've got research if you want to um, read some of the research. It's really the place to start. And you can also link from there to the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion website, which mm -hmm. is really the place to take online training. So and it's, I, it's all and easy now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, just some feedback. One of my clients is using your uh, um, audio. Uh, is it a guided imagery on caregiving? Ah, uh -huh. uh, and finding it very helpful. Nice. Yeah. So um, it works. Is, I mean, that's the reason it's, it's it, like, yes. I, it's, it's the message. It's not the messenger. It's just it works. That's why people are interested in it. Mm -hmm. it, just, it yes. works. Right. Yeah. And, um, and then your book, uh, obviously, they can find throughout one of these roads that lead to uh, um, these websites the yeah yeah I have four books out now believe it or not i've got my first book self-compassion and i've got the newest book fierce self-compassion mm -hmm. um, which is written for women but men benefit from it as well but it's it's really because it kind of talks about unraveling gender socialization which gets in women's way um, but we also have the mindful self-compassion workbook you can actually go through the entire mindful self-compassion program yourself in workbook format and we also have a guide for professionals, for instance, therapists wanting to integrate this stuff into their practice. So, uh -huh. um, yeah, I've been busy. Definitely look at, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. And I know that this image of the mother bear with yes. fierceness and, ten and tenderness has really been a lovely um, way to think about this. Very helpful for yeah. for some of my clients as well mm. well that is uh it just sounds so important anything you'd like to add before we uh wrap it up today that i haven't um, asked well i mean i guess maybe the thing we didn't touch on but it's so important is is emotional resilience I and mean, we talked a bit about motivation but the other the other thing that the research really shows clearly 
is that self-compassion allows you to deal with the difficulties and challenges of life without being uh, overwhelmed. Mm, so it yeah. reduces burnout, it reduces PTSD, um, it reduces depression, it reduces anxiety. So typically when negative emotions come up or negative experiences come up, uh, we don't support ourselves. We fall into some habits which act, can actually exacerbate our suffering. So self-compassion in many ways is a, is a way for us to deal with the difficult stuff of life in a way that's much healthier and it leads to better mental health. That's so, a pretty important point. Um, yeah. So thank yeah. you for adding that, particularly <laughs> now. I think that is... Yeah, given the pandemic and the other, the other things. Yeah, there's research showing people with more self-compassion have cope better with the pandemic, just to give one example. So it's a really important coping mechanism. Yeah, and I'm thinking that if you're not self-compassionate, there's a much more stress activated yes. and cortisol and inflammation and all that yes. that leads to. Wow, this is so important. Kristen, thanks for, I know how busy you are. I so appreciate you taking time out. And um, it was lovely to speak with you again. Same here. Happy, happy to talk. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, uh, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.